Good morning. That sounded so exciting. Good morning. That's better. That's better. For those of you that have given me strange looks this morning, because I appear unshaven, the reason for that is my daughter and I are participating in the only Central College production of Fiddler on the Roof. And because that focuses on Jews that the Tsar of Russia forced out of their homes, they're having us as a part of Jewish men not shave. So you have the opportunity to make fun of me, whatever you want to do, but for the next month and a half, your preacher's going to look scruffy. Okay? Just wanted to tell you in case you're wondering why your preacher hasn't shaved. Okay. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke chapter 5. We have recently concluded a series of messages on discipleship. That's our theme for this year, for 2024. Discipleship. We want to be one. We want to make one. We want to be followers of Jesus as his disciples, and as we follow Jesus, we want to make disciples who will follow Jesus. And so we're looking at instances where Jesus encountered people and how he made disciples everywhere he went in a number of different occasions, events, and circumstances. And today I want to begin looking at some instances where Jesus interacted with people in Luke's gospel. In Luke's gospel, you will find at least ten different times where Jesus interacted with people and food was involved. Table conversations, if you would. Not always inside of a house, sometimes outside in the open air. But it's evident that Jesus enjoyed eating with people. Do you? Yeah, most of us do. And if you're willing to open the door of your home, you might consider opening your table in your attempts to make disciples. Bring them to the table. People love to eat. Just ask our senior saints. All right? And so this series of messages, I'm just calling, come to the table. Come to the table. Luke seems to be more interested in this theme than Matthew, Mark, or John, but he gives us several instances in the ministry of Jesus where he was just eating with people. And what took place in the context of that meal. Of that meal. So in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, this is the first of at least ten different times in Luke's gospel where we have a table fellowship scene with Jesus. So let's all come to the table. It says, after that he went out and noticed a tax gatherer named Levi sitting in the tax office. He said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. There was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people that were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax gatherers and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It's not those that are well that need a physician, but those who are sick. 
I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So you'll notice there in verse 27, it says, after that, he went out. Well, after what? Well, I would remind you a little bit of what precedes this in the Gospel of Luke. The first two chapters basically deal with the birth narrative of Jesus. You get to chapter 3, you have the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist, who came as a forerunner for Jesus, to prepare the way for him, for the Messiah. In chapter 3, Jesus comes to John the Baptist and is baptized by him in the Jordan River. And then right after that, Luke gives the genealogy of Jesus. Kind of a strange place when you think that Matthew's account, he began with the genealogy, but Luke puts it in what we know as chapter 3. Well, when you get to chapter 4, Jesus goes out into the wilderness where he's tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He comes back in the power of the Spirit, and he makes his way to Nazareth, his hometown, where he's invited to speak. So he stands up to read, as was their custom. He would sit down to teach. But they gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which would be a large scroll. And he turned to the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news and so forth, to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord. He rolls the scroll back up, gives it to the attendant. He sits down (coughs) and he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the fulfillment of the scripture. I'm here. Well, that made the people so enraged they let him out and tried to throw him off a cliff and kill him. But the scripture says Jesus passed through their midst. And so he went up to Capernaum then and set up a base of operations there on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. And he began to minister, to make disciples. And in chapter 5, when you come to chapter 5, he heals a leper and touches him. And he heals a paralytic who was brought by four men, four of his friends, we assume, who couldn't get him into Jesus because of the crowd. They go up on the roof, put the hole in the roof, lower him down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders that are there say, that's blasphemy. No one can forgive sins except God alone. And they were exactly right. They just didn't realize they were looking at God in the flesh. And Jesus said, which is easier? To say, son, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise, take up your stretcher and walk. But in order that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he turned to the man and said, rise, take up your stretcher and go home. And the man did, to the amazement of all the people. So, you come to chapter 5, verse 27, and it says, after this, now you know what, what preceded this account. And so Jesus goes out. He notices a tax gatherer named Levi. (coughs) Levi, we learn from Scripture, is the son of Alphaeus. He also has a Hebrew name, which is Matthew. Mark and Luke, John, they refer to him as Levi. But Matthew, Levi himself, in the gospel that he wrote, calls himself Matthew. It's the Hebrew name, and it means gift of God. And so you have here an instance of the gift of God 
ripping everybody off. He's a tax collector, all right? No one liked tax collectors. They were sellout artists. They sold themselves to Rome. I don't know how many of you have watched The, the Chosen, the made-for-TV series about the life of Christ. It's called The Chosen. There are three seasons out, waiting for season four. But in the instance where Jesus calls Matthew, you have Matthew, and, and they portray him as a, as a short, kind of scrawny guy, okay, sitting behind the bars in the tax collector's booth, in front of which is Gaius, the Roman soldier that kind of makes sure that everything goes fine there, kind of protects Matthew. And Jesus comes and approaches that, and he's looking at Matthew, and Matthew sees him looking at him, and as Jesus steps a little closer, Gaius reaches for his sword, just in case. And Jesus says, follow me. Jesus had a different plan for Matthew's life than what Matthew had for his life. I mean, tax collectors were rich. Uh, that might have been Matthew, Levi's plan from the very beginning to, to be as rich as he could be. You see, the way the Roman tax system worked was they would sell tax franchises. They literally sold the tax collecting business of a certain area to the highest bidder. So you already had to have money to get one of those franchises. But once you got one, you could make a fortune because you could charge people anything you wanted to. You could tax them as much as you wanted. Now, Rome required a certain amount, but anything above that, you could stick in your pocket. So you can imagine how out of control that became and why all the Jewish people came to hate the tax collectors and Rome as well. Tax collectors were trained, professional, extortionists, they made their money by taxing people way beyond what Rome required. Fact is, Rome did not pay a tax collector a salary. And so the way they made their money was fleecing the people. And they did it well. And so this man, Levi, had probably always planned to get incredibly rich and to live happily ever after but Jesus had a different plan for his life. Jesus says, follow me. In the, in the made-for-TV series, Matthew looks at him, then gathers up his stuff, walks out the door, locks it, hands Gaius the key. Gaius tries to talk him out of it, saying, you don't know what you're doing. But Matthew knew what he was doing. He knew. It's an interesting play on words here too, folks. You remember when Jesus said to Peter, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men? Well, the Greek word for follow there is a word that just means, here boy, here boy, follow me, here boy. But when he looked at Matthew and said, follow me, he used a different Greek word. And it's a word that means to radically rearrange your life in obedience to me. In other words, follow me deeper. Don't just follow me down a road. 
you radically change your life in obedience to me. That's the word Jesus used to Matthew. And what does it say Matthew did? Verse 28. He left everything behind. He rose and began to follow him. And when Matthew walked out of that tax office, that would be for the last time. He couldn't go back. Rome had a rule. If a tax collector quit, they could never be a tax collector again. Now, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were fishermen. If they wanted to go back and fish on the Sea of Galilee, they could. In fact, they did after the resurrection. But Matthew couldn't go back. He's leaving everything behind, and that's why Gaius, in the, in the TV, I think they did it well. Telling him, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? You can't come back if you leave. And Matthew knew that. And he radically rearranged his life in obedience to Jesus and began to follow him. Jesus had a different plan for Matthew's life. And Matthew began to follow. But there, we see here, though, that after he begins to follow, Matthew throws this huge party. Now, it's a different kind of party. Uh, he invited all of his former tax collector friends and their friends, probably. There wasn't anybody else for him to invite. No self-respecting Jew is going to go to a tax collector's house or be seen anywhere near a tax collector. The only friends a tax collector would have would probably be other tax collectors. And so that's who Matthew invites. And he fills his house with all these people. It's a different kind of party because these are the social outcasts, the rejects of society. They are rich rejects. But still, they're rejects. This was a group of people that no one in their right mind would ever be around. And yet, Luke tells us Jesus is right there in the middle of this mess of people. This messy group of irreligious, money-hungry, party all night like there's no tomorrow, scum of the earth, no good riffraff. All together there in Matthew's house, and there's Jesus Right in the middle of them. It's like, like the preacher was there and he took the whole church staff and the elders too. All right, I mean, and he's reclining at the table, no doubt, enjoying a great meal because tax collectors not only knew how to party, they had the money to pay for it. Now, I can't prove this, but don't you imagine that sometime in the course of that party, that Matthew stood up and told all of his friends that he was now following Jesus? Do you not think he probably gave some testimony of why he had left the tax collecting business? He's going to follow Jesus and encourage them to do the same? I can't prove that. That's speculation. But, but I would think, I would think he would have done that. It's interesting to me also that Matthew followed Jesus so quickly. It seems, when you read the scripture, but being in Capernaum, do you not think that he had heard Jesus teach and preach? Do you not think that maybe he had had a front row seat to some of the miracles when Jesus healed people of their illnesses and cast out demons? I think he's witnessed some of this. I think there's something already going on inside of Matthew before Jesus ever approached the tax collector booth and said, follow me. 
so that Matthew, when he got the call, he followed. I don't think he would have been well received by the other disciples. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they all would have known Matthew because he's the guy they had to go to to pay their taxes. How many of you like the tax collector? And most of us send ours in in the mail probably, right? We never have to meet an individual. But they would have, and they wouldn't have liked him. They would have been stunned that Jesus called this man to follow with them. But Matthew throws this huge party. He opens his home so his friends can get to Jesus. And it makes me wonder, what am I doing to get my friends to Jesus? What are you doing? What are you doing to get your friends to Jesus? Are you willing to say, come to the table? I want to invite you to supper tonight. Will you come? And then have an opportunity to have them meet Christ. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees come by, as you can read there, and they don't like what's going on. They ask the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax gatherers and sinners? <laughs> and probably the disciples don't know how to answer the question. Now, the Pharisees were the separatists, you remember, who believed that you could be righteous by keeping the law and all the oral tradition that had been passed down. They came up with all these extra kind of rules and regulations and litmus tests to determine who was good and who, was what, who wasn't, who was spiritual, who was not, who was in and who was out. I mean, the worst thing for a Pharisee was to think that he was stuck in the middle of the pack. You know, just could not able to differentiate himself from other common people. They thought only the spiritually elite could earn God's favor. So they came up with all these boundary markers and litmus tests to prove to themselves and to everybody else that they were indeed more committed than anyone. Pharisees have always focused on what they do rather than on what God has done. And that's why they could never make room for a tax collector like Matthew to be saved. What about you? Is there anyone that you have decided can't be a part of the kingdom of God? Is there anyone that you've determined isn't good enough or doesn't measure up enough in order to be saved, even though Jesus died for them? We better be careful with our thoughts and our attitudes as well. We don't want to be what Larry Osborne in his book calls an accidental Pharisee. Well, Jesus heard them ask the question. He answers immediately. The disciples don't have to say a word. And he answers them instantly and emphatically with an analogy. The analogy is those that are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. It's a simple analogy, right? Doctors are for sick people. How simple is that? The Pharisees were great at diagnosing sin, labeling people as sinners. So wouldn't it make sense if the Messiah, the Savior, comes, that he goes to the sinners? Makes sense to me. Dr. Warren Wearsby said, Our Savior may be compared to a physician. He comes to us in our need. He makes a perfect diagnosis. He provides a final and complete cure. And then he pays the bill. What a physician. 
Wouldn't that be great if our doctors paid the bills for us? Jesus did. So he answers them with an analogy. He also answers them with authority. When he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, I didn't come to save those who think that they're, that, that, that they're already too good to ever go to hell. I came for those who think they'll never be good enough to go to heaven. And that's why I'll sit in a party with tax collectors. Jesus didn't come to compliment the self-righteous. He came to convert sinners. By the way, he didn't defend these people to the Pharisees. In fact, Jesus probably would have agreed with the Pharisees. Yeah, you're right. Everybody here is a sinner. Everybody here is a reprobate. Everybody here does not deserve to be saved, including you guys. He could have said that. Scripture doesn't record it. And yet that's the reason Jesus came. Because the truth is, no one deserves salvation, do they? No one. Certainly not a tax collector or a sinner, and certainly not a Pharisee either. And nobody here today, not a single one of us, deserves salvation, and yet Jesus died for us. Larry's meditation this morning, God considered the cost that would have to be paid, and he was willing to pay the cost. And so today, New Hope Christian Church is not made up of good people, it's made up of bad people. It's not made up of people who think they're righteous. It's made up of people who know they're not. This church is not made up of people who think that they've arrived or attained some certain degree of acceptance with God. But rather, this church is full of people who know they can never attain, never achieve a place of acceptance before God. We understand we are sinners. But we've come to know the love of God and accept Christ as the payment for our sins. People that have received the righteousness of God as a gift from Jesus Christ. And that's the message of the gospel. And I think one of the best preachers of that gospel is a former tax collector named Matthew. You ought to read his book, The Gospel of Matthew. Or as one scholar puts it, The Gospel According to the IRS. <laughs> We're going to stand and sing a hymn of decision this morning. But listen, our theme this year is to go make disciples. And I think it's good to look at how Jesus did that. He was willing to go to anyone that needed to be saved. Willing to sit at a table with them and eat with them. Are we willing to do the same? Willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that person doesn't spend eternity away from God. We're the means that God chose to save the world. He sent a son, now he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's placed that precious message in earthen vessels like us and we're the means that he chose to go save the world. If we don't do it, 
who will. So come to the table yourself if you need to. Be willing to invite others to the table to try to make a disciple. Let's stand and sing.